Hello, Internet. We're back. Sorry, Dave had some computer malfunctions and he was saying all this smart stuff, so I didn't want any of it to be lost. <laughs> so on bequest to me, he switched computers and he switched rooms. Now he has books in the background. So you can no, it's the same. I'm in the same room. It was totally, I thought maybe it was an internet connection. Totally my old computer. Uh, uh, I absconded with one of the, we had a, you know, with all the kids learning from home, I, we got, we found a deal on some Chromebooks and got some Chromebooks for my kids for school. Nice. Because no. our other, because our other computer was really old. My work computer is very old. Our home computer is very old. So now they have the better computers in our house. Yeah, it's funny because remember when Chromebooks first came out and you pretty much couldn't do anything on them because they yeah, were, exactly, they're garbage. Yeah, and now they're good. Now they're now good. They're better than your actual laptop. Yeah. Anyway, so we're rolling. Hi, how's it going? Good, good. Uh, Let's just start over. Welcome everybody to our podcast. This is Dave Breckenridge. He is coming all the way to us from Edmonton. Why don't you let the class know who you are? Tell us something interesting about yourself. Um, Well, I'm hiding in a basement. I've been hiding in a basement for two and a half months. (laughs) Um, No, I'm I'm the managing editor of the Edmonton Sun, Edmonton Journal. like I said, out of Edmonton, I've been working, we've, our newsroom has been remote for yeah. since this all broke pretty much in mid-March. How's um, that affecting uh, the news? Because when I worked with you, it was at the Calgary Sun, uh, yeah. that was 2012 and 13, yeah. and there was a lot of, uh, kind of like everybody's in one big room, like you don't even have cubicles, and then if somebody needs something, they kind of shout across the room, and there's a real, like, interconnectedness of being right there, and like, just walking over to someone and asking them questions. Has that yeah. really changed that for you or at all? It has. Like we use Slack, like I'm sure a lot of workplaces, a lot of newsrooms use. We use Slack for communication. It kind of makes up for some of the, the banter you still get. Cause you know, like one of the best things about being in a newsroom is banter, right? <laughs> it's noisy yeah. and there's full of, it's full of smart asses, smart people, also smart asses. And so there's a lot of banter that goes on in a newsroom and Slack kind of makes up for it, but you're right. You're not able to just kind of turn around and say to someone, Hey, what do you think of this headline? Um, what about this lead? What, how does this work? Can I read something to you? Um, your food smells delicious. That food smells terrible. Um, <laughs> no fish bombs in the office. No fish. Yeah, exactly. So like I, there's that flow that I miss about being in the newsroom and I miss kind of being around the group that we have because as you all know newsrooms are full of characters. Uh, mm-hmm. The Edmonton newsroom for the Journal in the Sun is no different. We have a lot of interesting people, um, and they're fun to be around. So that part, kind of missing that, kind of sucks. In terms of the the organizational work um, and planning and uh, and all that things and dealing with with daily news meetings and stuff, we figured out most of that. But I, it it is kind of a bit of a pale comparison of kind of the day-to-day so it's still a struggle like i'm looking forward to when we go back to the office and i know i'm leaving that up to to my hires up and provincial health authorities and uh, like i know in toronto john tory was saying like yeah we're reopening but if you don't have to work downtown don't work downtown because we don't need <laughs> however many hundreds of thousands of people coming downtown so i assume that that'll be kind of the same for us for a while that you know they may not say go back to work right away so, yeah, it's kind of um, funny because it's like, yeah, we're still doing social distancing 
and we're some of us are still working remote like you and some other people I know but it like it seems like a lot of people out there have given up on the whole covid uh sanctions and are just like going up to each other hanging out talking to each other like I don't know how it is in Edmonton but here in Burnaby they've opened up the playgrounds again so mm-hmm. kids can go on those and they just I guess their reasoning is they put a sign up that says use at your own risk but yeah. uh I mean well, cases are way the down same for so. a- yeah, that's the same for playgrounds everywhere. I mean, cases in Alberta are, are pretty far down as well. I don't think it's as good as it as it is in BC. But yeah, like, you know, playgrounds are open again, which is good. It's nice out. My kids have been going stir crazy because mm. you lived in Alberta. You know what it's like from like <laughs> mid-March to late April. It can yeah. be not nice. So the fact that, you know, it finally warmed up and they can go out to the park, it's just tough. Kids don't understand, especially smaller kids, they don't understand. Yeah, like I need to stay away from people. I can't share a swing with my friend. I can't. Yeah, I can't run around outside. Like it's yeah. funny because when I was a kid, at least I don't know if you were the same way. Like it, in the middle of the day, if the kids are home, you're like, all right, go play outside, get some exercise and stuff. Yeah. So they're used to that sort of thing, and like you said, March to April, it's kind of gross, and that's what it was here. It was like it was dirty and it was raining, and everybody's like, it was kind of like it was a lot easier to do COVID. And then once it got like warm for a week, everybody's like, all right, we got to go outside. Let's uh, figure <laughs> this out. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I don't envy the people planning for when kids go back to school in Alberta. Oh, yeah. Cause like, yeah, kids like don't touch your face. Don't stick your fingers in your mouth. Hey, don't touch each other. Yeah. That's how kids do is like, Oh, I'm going <laughs> to eat my fingers. I'm going to chew on my pen. Yeah. I'm gonna rub my face. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to like poke my friend over there. I, doesn't yeah I, anyway they just yeah, need like an electronic shock collar on all the kids <laughs> from when they yeah, touch, like, you know or reverse <laughs> magnet belts where they can't yeah. they, like it holds them from <laughs> going close to each other <laughs> yeah but so i imagine someone would this. get injured and then that would be yeah. enough of that uh yeah so yeah. let's get right into it i wanted oh. to have <laughs> you on <laughs> because uh, you work in newsrooms, as we've talked about. Sorry if you were watching the stream before this. We're just going to start over because Dave was making some great points and they started glitching out and I didn't want to lose that. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'll just tee you up again. Um, We were talking about the whole George Floyd thing and Derek Chauvin and how pretty much the whole world's involved at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, that's, you mentioned like the whole world is involved at this point and that's pretty amazing to see um, yeah. because I don't remember in any of these other cases of black men being killed by police officers, unarmed black men being killed by police officers where the groundswell of support was global. And I yeah. don't, I don't know what has really sparked it becoming a global protest now. I think it's, it's quite amazing to see. I think um, I think what kind of happened was I think everybody was like we were just talking about stir crazy from COVID so everybody was like they were away from each other and they wanted to be around each other so it's kind of like this happened at the worst possible time because everybody has this yearning to connect with each other Mm -hmm. and then they see this other human being being treated like less than human and he gets killed by basically an officer just being a piece of garbage. So it just, it hit everybody a little bit harder than some of the times in the past. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I, that's a very good point that, you know, there, 
and the attention is it, everyone's attention has been on COVID-19 for so long. And that seems to be all the world has been talking about. And then you have this stark example of police brutality that, that, re, that winds up in someone's death. Uh, and you have a police officer charged with murder. You have three other officers charged. All of them have been fired. Um, and the, the protest that started in Minneapolis and then they spread everywhere. It was just this whole, this moment. And you're seeing that continue this weekend in Canada um, and around the world. Um, it is quite, I don't know. It's quite, it's quite an interesting thing to see. It's tricky to talk about, not because we shouldn't be talking about it, but you know, we, we want to be respectful. And there's been a lot of talk, especially in media around, uh, listening to voices of the black community in Canada, voices of the indigenous community. Um, so you and I may not be the most qualified to have, be having this conversation, but I think it is even important for, for white people, whether that be podcasters or journalists to do some reflection and look at what's going on and, and discuss the need for change. And there's been a lot of talk right now. I think the, the big call for change that I, I think people are asking for everywhere is, the idea of de-policing um, or police abolitionists. Yeah. Um, you know, um, but, but I think that, that as we watched the protests, there was one in Edmonton yesterday. There was a couple of smaller ones earlier in the week in Edmonton. There's been some large, large protests and rallies in Calgary, uh, Toronto today. I don't know if you saw the guy who thought it would be funny to show up in blackface in Toronto no. today. Oof. Oh, it was bad. Yeah. He got arrested. A, I think rightfully so. I'm surprised oh, he that should, he, I'm surprised he walked, I'm surprised he actually walked out of there under his own volition. I wouldn't have begrudged anyone. I'd, I'd imagine if that didn't happen in Canada, like, I don't want to make it to sound like we're all wusses, but we, I think it, in general, Canada is a little bit less to physical confrontations than say somewhere in the States. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah no, the state, still the state seems primed for violence in in a lot of ways. I don't know if there's the guy running around with a chainsaw, yeah, trying I, to get I, trying to get the the Black Lives Matter protesters ugh. away from wherever he was. I was just like, what is going on? Like this, it's it feels very much like the world has gone mad mm -hmm. at times. Yeah, there was also that guy. I think it was last week where he had a compound bow and he was trying to say he was all like, oh, all lives matter and stuff. And you're like, oh, dude, just. And then he pulled his bow and arrow and everyone's talking yeah. about, and I'm not trying to excuse uh, people who are looting. I know there was in St. Louis, I believe uh, there was a story of a security guard who was shot and killed trying to keep looters out of his store. I'm not trying to, to excuse people who are exhibiting violence, but for people on the right to be criticizing Black Lives Matter protesters uh, or Antifa protesters for using violence, and then people are like, wielding chainsaws as a means of crowd control or pulling yeah. out a bow and arrow. We're talking about things that can kill people. Sure. Yeah. Like, um, there's a tweeter, tweeter a guy on Twitter and he said, Tim pool. And he said something to the refrain of you have people on the right, um, uh, dismissing police violence as a means to kind of control the rioters and looters. And then you have people on the left condoning the violence of the rioters and looters against the police. And it's just, you have violence on both sides. This is going to be a bright future, like some sarcastic yeah. tone like that. And it's like, 
like with you, it's like that, like you said, you don't want to condone the rioting and the looting and I don't either, but at the same time, it's hard to deny the, uh, the grounds they're making through that. Like Dallas just passed this thing where they're police officers. It's going to be, um, it's like a new duty that they have to police each other now. And then, yeah. so it's nice, but it's kind of like, mm, like I'm not really comfortable with rioting and looting, but you can't deny some. Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. And I mean, it's easy for me to sit here uh, and, <laughs> and be like, oh yeah, tisk, tisk. I like, I, I get it. I've heard the Mel- I've heard the Martin Luther King quote, the, the rioting is the language of the unheard and the, the people have gotten to a point and, you know, I'm, I, I, the Janelle Monet song, Say His Name, and I, I saw that performed, again, by a white guy. But uh, David yeah. Byrne, when he was touring his most recent tour, he had gotten permission from Janelle Monet to perform that as part of his tour. Mm-hmm. And it's such a powerful moment to hear this large list of names of people who didn't deserve to die who are now dead. Yeah. Um, at the hands of, you know, not all cases in the hands of law enforcement. I know like George Zimmerman was not a law enforcement officer, um, but in many cases, law enforcement. And you have to wonder, well, how long does that list have to get before people start listening and start seeing it as a concern? Like it took, you know, one of the links you would send me in, in advance of this was the the NFL commissioner uh, yeah. and his statement. And it's like, Kaepernick was talking about this four years ago and we're just getting to this now like how long does the unheardness have to happen before people get frustrated and that's kind of like i look at it like that like i don't Mm -hmm. i don't feel i can have a commentary on how a community that of which i'm not a part is supposed to feel about um their treatment in society um or how they're treated by law enforcement but i can see that it's not great i can see and this isn't something that's been going on like a short period of time. Like you and I grew up when we were teenagers, Rodney King was a thing and you've yeah. seen that video. And I grew up with that as a, as a part of my media consciousness is seeing the video of Rodney King getting beaten. And I wonder like, why are we still talking about, why is this still happening 30 years later? And I still get stuck with that. And I, you know, I don't know. I get, I have a hard time kind of, articulating my thoughts on it partly out of outrage and partly because I don't know what the solution is. Yeah, exactly. Like one of the problems with this whole rioting and looting thing is like, yeah, it's good. We're causing change and you're, the people are finally being heard and and it's, it's nice because it's almost like they're draining the swamp of the police departments. Like we're finally getting to a point where the police departments themselves are admitting, yeah, we got some fucking assholes in here and we should probably do something. So in the future, they don't get to just run around and put their knees on people's necks. And like some people have called for like no chokeholds. And I hope like what I want to see is maybe um, like further, more stringent, policing of the police pretty much like they should have more psyche evals seeing if they are like getting too aggressive or if they're power tripping in layman's terms and maybe have like um a more kind of selective entry process where Mm -hmm. 
if you are the type of person who is prone to violent outbursts, maybe you just don't get to be a police officer anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want people who are prone to violent outbursts being police officers. <laughs> I respect, like, I respect the, the work many police officers do. I, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, it's not an easy job, but like the discussion over the last few days, like the idea that, that people, um, from the black community or in Canada, the indigenous community are over-policed. The idea that um, people from those communities are overrepresented in the justice system. Like these are the problems that, that we're going to have to address at some point. And I don't know if that's, uh, that comes through better screening or that comes through changes in policy or that comes through um, more oversight. Like it, and I know the problems in Canada are different than the problems in the United States. I know in Canada, we have police associations and police unions, but I don't know if they're as powerful as they are in the United States. I know that in Minneapolis, the head of the police union is a big booster of Donald Trump. Uh, is not a fan of the Democratic mayor. There's a lot more partisan politics tied to some of these police unions, and they hold a lot of sway, especially when you have very large police departments like New York City. I don't, I don't know if those systemic issues are the same problem here um as they are in the states but these are kind of all these things that we have to look at um and i mean at the end of the day i'm surprised that conservatives are so resistant to some of these changes you have people and i look at i'll look at the united states you have conservatives who during covid because people couldn't go to subway or people couldn't go get a haircut or people couldn't do all of these things you had Second Amendment people show up with guns at state houses and be like, all right, like, you know, you can't tell me what to do. And then when it comes to uh, the Black Lives Matter issue and and abusive police power, those same Second Amendment people aren't turning up protesting against the overarching power of the state. I don't understand that. You can argue for depolicing from a very conservative, small government frame of mind. Mm-hmm. And still not, and you know, still not be in favor of people committing murder or rob. I'm not talking about Black Lives Matter. I'm just talking about like crime in general. You do not, you can be anti-crime and anti-policing at the same time if you believe in smaller government. Yeah, I'm. I'm really worried about the binary conversation that's happening. Like, there's everybody saying either let the cops do whatever they want, like the people who are trying to say like. The, oh you're just making the cops angry they're going to react that way they should be okay and then you have the people who be like we don't need police anymore and i'm in the middle and i'm like yeah i kind of still want police in our society because there are still people who are bad out there and they still need to be checked by the police but i'm also i also don't want to let the police go because they're they have been screwing around and some of the police unions i'm not going to go so far as to say the whole union is corrupt but a lot of the times they kind of, their hands are tied where they have to, just because they're the union, they have to stick up for the police officer, maybe even if he's wrong. And like mm-hmm. you were saying, like there's people who are saying defund the police, like Derek, who unfortunately couldn't be with us because he has like, sorry for laughing at such an inopportune time, but Derek has like a sore back. He slipped a disc or something. I don't know what he was lifting, but apparently it was heavy. But he was saying, I wanted to I wanted to present his opinion because he was saying what they should do is not completely defund the police, but they should take money from the police departments and put them more into 
like social programs and maybe some of the roles that the police have in the community, they should kind of branch out and give them to like social workers or even make up new positions where mm-hmm. like you don't have police as the first responders to every situation. You kind of have maybe specialized groups that do something like that. And that's also something you could look forward to yeah. as well. Well, I know that's something the police departments do now and you could see more of that being done like the Edmonton police department and other police departments in Canada, they have special units where it's a police officer and a mental health worker or a social worker. And I understand in Canada, um, social workers aren't always viewed as a safer option, especially for first nations communities, because child and family services get involved in a case, the social worker is the person who comes in and then says, oh, this parent isn't fit. And then they come and take your kids away. Like there, there's a whole other issue that comes with de-policing or taking money and putting it in other resources is who mm-hmm. is doing that work. And, and again, it's, we want to, we need to listen to the communities who are raising these concerns, just like we'd listen to, to any other community around any other issue. Like, you know, we have such a governments, especially in Canada, have a knack for for being elected and then forming panel after panel after panel after panel who hold hearings, who want to listen to the concerns of people. But when it mm-hmm. comes to policing and how to police differently, that seems to never happen. The city yeah, of Edmonton like- is notorious, like, oh, garbage. <laughs> and we're going to have our public art panel and we're going to talk about all these things. But why not with policing? Why? You know, I hope Don, Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson said today that he wants to listen to the, the concerns raised by Black Lives Matter around funding for policing and, and potentially the idea of de-policing. I hope they do. Like, mm-hmm. and again, I, I can look at it from, from a couple of lenses, from a social justice lens, it makes sense. From a conservative small government lens, it makes sense. Maybe it means that I'm paying less in taxes because we don't have as many officers on the street. I always get hung up and having worked in media in two cities now, um, Calgary and Edmonton. The ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Alberta guy. So, Dave, Dave's worked in major newspapers. Major, in yes. Different cities. In different, but um, the idea that when it comes to police budgeting, mm-hmm. that when the police go and make their presentations to city councils, and I'm sure this is the same across north america doesn't matter what is going on with crime in a city there's always an excuse for more money oh crime is up we need more officers because we have to deal with crime because crime is on the rise if crime is down i heard the argument one year and i'm pretty sure it was former edmonton police chief rod connect the argument was we can't lose ground on all the positive things that we've done to help get crime down so we need more money. Yeah, it's kind of like, heard, oh, crime's up. We need money to put crime down or crime's down. Oh, we need more money to keep crime down. Otherwise, if we lay off, if we lay off the gas right now, then we'll just lose the speed. Kind yeah. of and deal. again, and again, this isn't me saying we don't need police. This is, I, you know, I live in a city that is very spread out. It's, and I want police to be able to get to where I am in the event that, you know, there's a serious crime happening near me to me or someone else I know. Like I understand that the desire for 
that public safety aspect to policing. On the flip side, there has to be a better way to look at the equation of how many officers we need and what, what programs are they doing and, and how do we, you know, how do we end street checks or carding? How can we police without those? Because that's yeah. carding and, and over-policing of certain communities. Seems Sorry, to be what's big carding? Issues. Basically, cops, cops, newspaper lingo. <laughs> yeah, no, it's policing lingo. It's, oh, okay. it's, a, it's a big issue in Toronto. Um, and it's been a big issue in Edmonton. It's called, there's called street checks here, but it's basically like if you're standing on the corner talking to your friends and police roll up and say, Hey, can I see some ID? What are you doing here? Uh, and that's, uh, so they'll check on you. Why are they doing that? If you're just standing there with talking with friends on the corner, why do mm. police have to know who you are and what you're doing? Yeah, I, like, exactly. I, <laughs> leave me alone. Yeah. Your agents of the state, leave me alone. Yeah, I get I get what you mean. Like on one hand, I would love that our police are underworked so they're not as opposed to being overworked and stressful. But like you're saying with this carding or uh like road checks or what did you say? Sorry? Street checks. It's street carding checks. and street checks are interchangeable yeah. names, like, terms. Also, if you have police that are maybe bored because they don't have enough to do, they might start doing that, just being like, Hey, maybe we can catch just catch someone like I know while well, all the only thing I know from police is pretty much what I've seen in movies and TV. And I feel like street checks are like a um, kind of like if you see someone and you're like, Hey, that guy kind of looks suspicious. Let's uh, yeah. roll up on him, ask him a couple questions and maybe he freaks out and bolts and then we know he's a criminal. So we chase him down and see what's going on. But yeah. like, you can't have a population that's constantly being, berated Har by like harassed like that like yeah. i i you know and and in the last two weeks since the death of george floyd um since he was killed uh with a knee on his neck the amount of stories i've seen posted across facebook social media other websites of black black men particularly mm -hmm. but black women indigenous people especially in the states you have stories of people who were just like, I was, you know, the one I read this morning that, that kind of choked me up was this, uh, a art instructor at a college in the States. I can't remember the name of the college, so I'm not going to try and try and mm -hmm. remember it now. Um, who was on his lunch break yeah. and was walking back to where his car was and two cops rolled up on him and said, Hey, you know, where are you going? Where did you come from? Why are you here? Yeah. You fit, you fit the description. Like, oh, and that's yeah. like, you fit the description. Uh, what description? Like, you know, tall knit cap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This, this whole idea that this whole idea that people are, are, are being accosted. I wouldn't want to be accosted like that. If I no. was walking around and someone said you fit the description, I would like, and again, I respect, I respect the idea of trying to put criminals behind bars, but I, I would be offended by the notion that you know, just walking down the street, they roll up on me. Yeah, you fit the description. If that happened to me constantly, I'd be angry. Yeah, see, this is where I've recognized my white privilege in the past was because yeah. I used to be like a punk semi-goth guy and I would dress like a punk semi-goth guy and I would get side-eyes by the police and they would stop me. They'd be like, what are you doing? What are you up to? And then as soon as I started wearing like polo shirts and jeans and like, not having like dyed hair and stuff. They just drove right on by because yeah. I didn't even register anymore. And it sucks because 
like my white privilege is I could just stop dressing like that and I don't have to deal with people. And like an African-American fellow can't just not be African-American when he's going to his car to get his lunch. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's 100% true. And I think those are the conversations that need to be had. Like there was mm-hmm. um, National Post columnist Rex Murphy wrote a piece because one of Trudeau's ministers said we need to deal with racism in Canada or systemic racism in Canada. And so Rex yeah, he got being perfect, like, yeah, I, and rightfully so. It was not a, I don't know how, he, yes, Canada has very permissive and welcoming immigration policies. We want people to come from Canada from all over. That was one of the points Rex tried to make to, to disprove the idea that Canada has racism uh, that's inherent to its makeup. Mm-hmm. That's still not a, like, okay, that's fine. But when people come here from other countries, that doesn't mean that they don't experience. Yes, we may welcome them in with open arms. Justin Trudeau tweeted after the Trump uh, Muslim ban, Canada's welcoming. Canada, you know, come, come to Canada. It's a great place. That doesn't mean that when they get here, it's all 100% well and good. Like those yeah, are two and, disconnected ideas. Yeah, and another Rex thing completely is completely ignore. And also, like, we don't need Rex Murphy weighing in on on racism. <laughs> I don't even know if we need me yeah. weighing in on racism. And I, yeah. again, I said this at the top, um, but even just to acknowledge it, I interviewed uh, a Financial Post reporter who's written on. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she normally writes on business, but she has written commentary on race in Canada, having grown up in Malaysia and having mm-hmm. dealt with with. Uh, microaggressions and and kind of larger racism and and seeing uh, Canada from a, a different set of eyes that you know yes that like we don't need Rex talking about these things we need to hear more from people in the communities that they affect yeah and, and another thing too is like on paper like what Rex was saying like we have a very inclusatory immigration plan and we pretty much allow everybody in as Trudeau has said and but if you go down to like the citizen level like I work in a metal workshop and I see guys that have very big problems with and they're always talking about this and I imagine they're not the only people who have a problem with Trudeau's lax immigration policies like personally I think it's fine just let everybody in like Canada's so wide open right now that we can take more people but like to say Canada doesn't have racism because Trudeau's immigration laws are favorable to people from everywhere else is kind of like not paying attention to what's actually going on in Canada. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, that's like, that's not to say that Canada's a repressive regime either, but mm-hmm. uh, I said one of those things I throw my, I throw my hands up in the air and I say, I shake my head and think like, why, you know, as I said earlier, like 30 years, on from from watching the brutal beating of Rodney King at the hands of Los Angeles police officers who were acquitted mm-hmm. of wrongdoing, I just I throw my hands up and I I get frustrated, you know. So I've been gl- I've been happy to see the the huge swell of support for the protests and the rallies, and I you know especially in Canada, I'm glad to see that they've been civil. I didn't expect that there would be issues, but I'm glad to see that there haven't been. Um, yeah. Because one I, think of the things, I think the message yeah. needs to be heard. I think one of the, like, it's not super promising and it could go a lot further, but right after this whole thing happened, like they were, the four guys were fired. They were like shit canned. And then um, uh, Derek Chauvin was charged almost immediately. And that's nice mm-hmm. because 30 years ago with Rodney King, 
there was like the like and before even a couple of years ago there would have been like an investigation then they'd be like okay we'll get our guys on it we'll get the police like public inquiry committee to look at it and then it would be like months before you heard anything even a couple of years so, ago there'd be no charges you know there'd yeah, be like officers exactly. would would kill a person and then oh no there, there'd be no charges that yeah like i don't if i don't I don't believe that there were charges in Eric Garner. The the other, I think he was at Staten Island in New York and he was choked to death. Um, mm. Is, is that the I choke? can't breathe guy? Yeah. The other, yeah. I can't breathe. Again, we've mm. had, we're at the point now we've had two, I can't breathe cases. Yes. Um, and using the officer was using a, uh, a chokehold, which was a, apparently already banned by the, by the NYPD. The NYPD officers were not supposed to be using chokehold. Mm-hmm. And as far as I can recall, there were no charges in that case. And there've been other cases where there's no charges and it just, you know, so I, you know, this, the, the George Floyd case, I think is at least an acknowledgement that we're, we're taking a step forward and saying, well, we're not tolerating this kind of behavior anymore. Yeah. And we're just lucky it was caught on video because mm-hmm. everyone saw it. Yeah. That's like, I saw Will Smith. had said he was, he said that we're not getting more racist. It's just getting videotaped now. And you hear stuff like that and you're like, Jesus, it must've been so much worse before, like before people like right now, pretty much every single person has a video camera in their pocket at all times on their cell phone, which is good because stuff like this is finally coming out. Well, not finally coming out. It's been out, but we can, everybody, you can't hide from it anymore. Like it used to be, you could kind of put your head in the sand because it would be like, there wouldn't be charges and it'd be a couple weeks and then it would be lost in the news cycle. But now it's just, the forefront and pretty much the world is like, Hey, we're sick of this shit. Let's fucking do something about it. Yeah. So exactly. I uh, think, uh, should move on to something else. Maybe. Sure. <laughs> I, I feel like that's wrapped up right. Quite nicely. One of the things I want to Dave and Dave and Dale are, are, are against racism. I think yeah. that was the, the too yeah. long. Didn't read racism is, <laughs> If in case you didn't want to listen to that whole thing and you're just popping in right now, me and Dave don't like racism. We still want cops, but we want the cops to be better. Yeah. And we don't condone the rioting and looting, but it's try it's hard to ignore the positive changes that the rioting and looting have gotten. So that's yeah. pretty much good summation. I yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons or sorry, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about since I have you and you're in the newspaper business is this Trump uh, executive order. He tried or he signed, what was that last week, the week before and Uh, all the days are bleeding into one, but yeah, it was last, (laughs) it was last week. There was, yeah. Yeah. I I, I tried to get Adrian Mack to talk about it, but he kind of sidestepped it. And I felt like no offense to Adrian Mack, but I feel like Dave can maybe, talk about this more because what happened what it is is the executive or the section 230 of the communications decency act signed in 1996 when the internet was just starting up was it was a way to kind of uh, protect internet providers like that would be the people who actually give you your internet service and even websites from being charged with libel and slander that people have posted using their services and some of the examples of the way this has been used in the past, like some guy emailed a bunch of like emailed a hateful letter out to a bunch of people on his email, on his AOL email service. And the guy who he wrote about tried to sue 
AOL as part of the libel thing, but this section protected him. And then another example mm-hmm. was there's a dating site where one female pretty much copied uh, another person, another female's uh, profile and took her picture, took her name and said a whole bunch of mean stuff about her just being like, Hey, I'm not a very good person, which is the PC version of probably what I actually said. And <laughs> <laughs> the girl who got copied tried to sue the dating site, but the section protected her. And then mm-hmm. Trump made some asshole tweets and, um, Jack from Twitter. I can't remember his last name. Jack, the, Jack, the guy who the CEO of Twitter. Oh, he's at Jack, isn't he? Like we don't. Yeah. Need, he doesn't have a last name. I, and if you don't know who Jack is, he's just Jack. It's Jack Dorsey. I'm pretty. <laughs> oh sure. yeah, pretty yeah, sure I think Dorsey. so. And um, he just put a link on Trump's tweet. He said, "This is actually incorrect. Here's a fact check." And then Trump got all upset because, like, I don't want to have the debate whether um, the right wing. Twitter profiles are being like kind of censored. That's, that's censored. the argument that if Trump yeah. is making that they're going to send their shadow banning conservatives yeah. and that they're censored. So, Cause that's the other piece of, of section 230 is that um, it protects providers from deleting from lawsuits. If they delete things in fair, basically like, it's like a fair. It's like, yeah, like a public, uh, public fair, de- fair dealing. Yeah, yeah. You're doing it like you're, de- you're deleting, like it prevents them, protects them from lawsuits. Yeah. If you're doing side. it in a uh, good faith. And so yeah. Trump signs this executive order to ratchet back the protections under section 230, thinking that that means that it's going to stop the censorship of the right wing and the conservatives. But in my opinion, I feel like it's going to increase it because if they take away Section 230, that means Jack Dorsey can be sued with libel. So it kind of becomes his responsibility to make sure everybody's playing nice and nobody's saying like hate speech on the internet or on yeah. Twitter. So he has to take those down. And uh, yes, yeah, some of the left wing people are kind of like, I feel like a lot of the times right wing people are just shittier and meaner to each other. And left-wing people are kind of just like, you're not nice enough. You need to be nicer type of deal. Yeah. And I think of those two being shitty to people, is going to get censored. So I just wanted I to get your opinion on yeah, it. Yeah. I mean, I find it interesting in, in preparation for this. I was reading a bit about this and I found what I found interesting is that Trump doesn't like section 230. Uh, one-time democratic democratic presidential candidate, Senator Beto O'Rourke, doesn't like Section 230 because he felt that it it prevented websites from being held accountable for hate speech um, that was being published on their sites. Like it's it's back in it's both wings hate it. Mm-hmm. So maybe it is a maybe it is a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing to have in place. <laughs> yeah. If both sides equally hate it, then maybe it's doing the right thing. You know, I I struggle with this as someone in the media. We're accountable as mm-hmm. a news organization. We are accountable. Uh, we have to abide by Canadian uh, defamation laws. We can't, you know, we we can be sued for defamation. We can be yeah. charged with criminal defamation. Um, we do not have unfettered free speech to put whatever we want on our sites. So I understand why um, you'd want something like a Facebook to be held accountable. Like the question is, I, I in thinking about this, I was wondering, well, what is the internet? 
Is the internet like your living room or is a website like your living room or is it like a street corner? Yeah. When I was in Calgary, one of my jobs was, was online editor and I oversaw the websites and that included reading the comments. You know how people always say, don't read the comments. Yeah. <laughs> and those are the people, the people saying that are the people who've had to read the comments for <laughs> professional reasons and they, they know better. Yeah. Um, and I viewed the comment section as my living room. The mm-hmm. Calgary Sun, like the Calgary Sun, and not just mine, like I had, I had bosses and, and I had to, you know, we, we tried to decide, well, what was acceptable to have on our site? Obviously, we didn't feel that we could host things that were libelous or couldn't host comments that were defamatory in any way. So those would get deleted. I, and then I wouldn't let you come into my living room and start saying horrible things about uh, people of color or Jewish people or, or LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. I'd kick you out of my house. I yeah. would, so if people came into my comment forum and did that, I'd kick you out of my comment forum. And, ah, that's a good way to see it. But is the internet as a whole, so that's a newspaper website. We are a mm-hmm. company and we have a website. And so we treat it as our office. Yeah. But is the internet as a whole, like an AO, could you sue, if someone was mailing stuff out in, in envelopes that the post office couldn't see what was in it, could you sue the post office if those things were hateful? Because how would they know? Right? Well, yeah, that's like one they, thing so the AOL, so the AOL thing is like, well, how would is AOL reading every email? Like, so this mm-hmm. guy was using AOL to send hateful emails. Is can AOL be held responsible if they don't know what's in them? Like, I don't want AOL or <laughs> or Google or Microsoft reading all every single email I send. Not because I'm sending horrible hate mail to people, but. Oh, that's a can, can of worms that, that it, but like, so like, how do you, how do you deal with these things? And then for something like Facebook and Twitter is Facebook and Twitter, Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg's living room, or is it mm-hmm. the public square? Should they police the public square? Well, people say, you know, we don't want Reddit threads that are run by racists. I know that Reddit has talked about its own problems. And one of the, the one of the founders has resigned his board chair and they want, he wants to be replaced by uh, a black person. Um, so that's, that's, that's their business decision. But like, how do we, how do we respect rights and freedom of speech, but at the same time, business, do businesses have the right to run their business as they want to see fit? And if they don't want to be associated with hate speech or things that they find egregious, or even in this day and age, not factual, then should they have to host any of that stuff? I don't know. Like I, it's a very fascinating debate and mm-hmm. I'm, of, I'm of two minds on it. Like, again, my, my newspaper's website was like my house or our yeah. place of business. But you know, on Facebook, if I want to say that Chad Kroger is the best musician ever to come out of Canada, I don't you know, like, I don't want people taking that. I'm not saying I'm a big Nickelback fan, but if I want to say he's too late, he's ter- Dave. It's if I want to say he's, now. but if I want to say he's terrible, do I want him? Like if I tag him in it on yeah. Facebook and he sees it, should he have the right to take down my opinion of him as a musician? Yeah, and I'm like, not. I'm not. A, I'm not equating yeah. musical tastes with hate speech. I'm not doing that. I'm just like we've talked a lot about racism and hate speech on this program so far. I'm trying to. Yeah. Yeah, so a different example. One thing that brings up too is like in Canada, at least you have libel law and you can be, you could be, be sued under it for slander. So it's almost like you can get away with saying more stuff on Twitter 
than you can just by word of mouth. Like, because if you slander someone by like saying this person is a terrible goblin and I don't like them or anything they do, and you go tell a bunch of people like that out, like out in the public world on an actual street corner, you can get sued for libel. Whereas if you say that on Twitter, are they protected and should they be? Like, well, in the States, it seems like you're more protected than you would be in Canada. Canada is still yeah. like publication is publication wherever. So we've run, I've seen people who all of a sudden, like people I follow on Twitter who out of the blue, they have something pinned to the top of their Twitter account. I, I wholly and unreservedly apologize to X person uh, for comments I made on this platform. And you know that that's the result of a defamation action. Yeah. So in Can I know in Canada, the rules are different, but you can't turn around and hold Twitter accountable. Like if I say something bad about someone, if I say something defamatory about someone on my Twitter account, they can sue me, but I don't think they can sue Twitter. And I don't know if they should be able to sue Twitter. I don't like Twitter's I'm signing a contract with Twitter to, to follow their terms of service. Um, you know, no one reads the terms of service, but I'm, mm -hmm. I'm entering into an agreement to, to govern myself accordingly. And if I choose not to do that, should they be held responsible just because they gave me a platform? I think it should be more like the way, like you said before, that you work in a publication like newspapers. And if you were to, you're held accountable to the Canadian acts and stuff. So I feel like I personally want Twitter to go more the way like, if I were to say, say, send the Edmonton Sun something that I wanted them to publish in the classifieds, just like a little ad, I wouldn't be able to just say what I can say on Twitter and get away with yeah. it because you, um, there's like a gatekeeper in the Edmonton Sun and they would stop that from going out there. And if you yeah. want to bring this like big picture existential as the mindfulness of society, like is being able to say anything you want on Twitter, helping anybody. And the answer is kind of like, not really like it's yeah. feel like it's causing depression and everybody to go up. And I keep hearing about these studies about kids that are like age, like eight to 14 right now are having all these mental, um, mental impairments that like say me and you didn't have because when we were like, maybe if we were, there's a jerk at school who was making fun of us and calling us names, we could go home and get away from it. Whereas the kids now it's follows them home and it's always there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of weird yeah. because like you said, like the, the question is like, where do you go from here and what do you do? And the problem and my suggestion is maybe start policing it a bit. Like yeah. maybe, this freedom uh, to say whatever we want isn't actually good for us. Yeah. I mean, like sites have that built in right now. Twitter has like, you can report someone if they have hate speech. And I think you should be able to, I like, again, mm -hmm. me, me saying that, you know, you don't want, I don't think that they should be held accountable. If I'm defaming someone on Twitter, I, I don't think they should. If, yeah. if there's thing, if there's something on their site that violates laws uh, in where countries where there are hate speech laws or um, if a crime is being committed through the site, like someone is live streaming a murder on there, you know, we've heard about that or we heard about the, the guy in New Zealand who was who's yeah. live streaming, you know, maybe there is a liability there that, that these things aren't shut down soon enough or, but 
again, it gets tricky in that where, what is the, what is the line? Is it enough to have a ability to report? Is it enough to um, have the ability to, to have an account deleted if it's proven to the company that these people have been doing things that are against the law or, or against the, the code of conduct? Like, do we need to get lawsuits involved? I don't know, but you raise a good point. Like, I spend a lot of time on Twitter for work. There are days where I think maybe I should just kind of walk away because it's not good for me today. It's like, it's not a good distraction. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's too much. Um, and maybe I should walk away. And maybe that's something that everybody should do or that the sites, in a lot of cases, it's the sites need to get better at policing some of this stuff on their own. If they don't want to be policed by the government, maybe they should do a better job of policing on their own. Yeah, like you brought up Reddit before, and one of the good things about Reddit is every kind of everything you say on Reddit goes into a subreddit, like a little kind of conversation to the side. And each one of those subreddits has its own moderator or multiple moderators that are kind of in charge to keep that chat in line. Like, could they some like with Twitter, could they somehow like fracture it so? There isn't just one big pool where all the tweets go. They kind of go into sub pools and each of those sub pools kind of have people going through and making sure nothing shitty goes on because the way the, like it is good that if you complain about something, it gets looked at either by a person or the AI looks through it to see if it like um, goes against their terms and conditions. But should there be a, like, it's almost like, should we have a pre-screening process where it doesn't actually get in and that would kind of ruin Twitter because the whole strength of Twitter is the immediacy of it. Like yeah. you see something going on, you could talk about it and like stuff like that. So it would kind of, I don't know, it would kind of hamstring the whole point of Twitter in the first place. But mm -hmm. uh, one thing that um, Germany did was in Germany, if you say something like hate speech on Twitter or on Facebook, they were trying to hold facebook um accountable for it so it changed the way that facebook had to um be represented in germany and how the way that it works there so we could yeah. and yeah it's it's kind of different like each country's different like you said it's a lot harder to get away with saying shitty things in canada than it is this in the states yeah yeah and i mean it, it is one of those things like i think governments uh, governments obviously have a lot of of sway over internet companies and internet companies and and companies like facebook want to be able to operate as they see fit i think that like there's i think there's the potential for middle ground where um you have a germany or a canada kind of setting their own rules but you know we don't want to get into a situation where the government is being heavy-handed and you know um shutting down social media sites or or spying or heavily monitoring what people are doing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get to that point, but I understand, like I say, I get it. Social media can be a cesspool. There are some abusive people on there. There are some hateful people on there. There are people who willingly spread misinformation. And I think that the companies need to get a better handle on those things or else the governments may have to crack down. Like if we see another Cambridge Analytica scandal involving type scandal involving Facebook, um, or great political misinformation campaigns that like they may get to a point where the government says, well, you let this go on for too long. Now we're really going to crack down.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. All right. So I also wanted, while I have you here, I wanted to talk to you about Trump trying to say that Antifa is a terrorist organization. <laughs> and at first you're like, well, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And then, but, and then you see a lot of like, this comes back into what we usually talk about on Outrage Factory is what people are upset about online. And you see a lot of people saying like, oh, I'm Antifa. And right now, and today's the 76th anniversary of D-Day. And they're like, these guys were Antifa because they went and fought Nazis. And there's kind of a disconnect because this, like a lot of people think that the Antifa that Trump's talking about is just basically anybody who doesn't like Nazis. And they don't actually see it as a specific group. But there's a logo, there's an Antifa logo where it's like a red flag and a black flag. And the problem isn't that they're against fascists because we all fucking hate fascists because they ruin everything. The yeah. problem is Antifa is also anti-capitalism and they have a lot of anarchists in their ranks. And if you read up on Antifa, it's, it's like one of those things where it's like they started out really good and they just wanted to fight at, at Nazis because they saw what happened in Germany. They saw what happened in like the rise of the Nazis in World War II. And they're like, we got to keep a lookout so that this doesn't happen in our society, which is good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we shouldn't let those raise up. But the problem was they kind of got into a little bit of like mind crime territory where they're trying to um, – punish the crimes before they happened like they started out not liking like um neo-nazis and yeah. white supremacists which is good but then they kind of bled into the area of if you have a mega hat we're gonna shout you down and then there was some there's a couple of them that ruined it for everybody where they like start hitting people with bike locks if they're at like some uh republican convention and stuff and i think that's where Trump was aiming. And I don't like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough. It's tough with that. Like, I mean, the history of Antifa goes back even further. Like in the, I was listening to, I listened to a lot of podcasts. I try to listen to a kind of a broad base um, uh, viewpoints. Um, and one of the ones that I listened to is, is Vox's today explained. And they had someone on talking about Antifa and they talk about how it was a thing in the thirties in Germany because they didn't like the fascists in Germany. And so they were yeah. like, a, and they're a group of lefties who would fight fascists because they didn't trust the police. And then it was a thing in the UK and the punk movement in the late seventies and eighties, because skinheads started going to punk shows and the punks also hated the cops, but they hated the skinheads. And so they mm -hmm. had a little Antifa type group within the punk movement who would fight with the skinheads at punk shows. Ah, yeah. And then it, and then it's kind of become what it is today. Um, like, is it an ideology? Sounds like it could be like the, uh, in Canada, we have laws around crimes related to terrorism, where it, it talks about committing a crime on behalf of an ideology. Um, yeah. Does, does Antifa have an organized ideology whereby people are committing violence in the name of this ideology in Canada, they haven't made this case yet in the U S they're trying to make the case with Trump. Now I'm not going to compare incel and Antifa, but I will talk about incel for a second. Yeah. This is one of the reasons why I wanted yeah. you to talk about this because on your podcast, 10, three, you talked to a guy 
and you guys covered this incel guy who got a charge of terrorism against him when he went into a massage parlor and murdered a woman because yeah. and like you don't really think of in like you said like you don't think of incels as terrorists but you could see that he was trying to intimidate like the population as a whole to uphold his ideology by committing crimes and that's loosely what you'd what you yeah. why you would call someone a terrorist was if they're trying to intimidate everybody and basically fear them into believing what they want yeah i mean like traditionally our view of a terrorist movement would be like al-qaeda mm -hmm. isis the the ira to many i know to the irish i don't know if the ira was a terrorist <laughs> organization but to many other people the ira was a uh, but like Sinn Féin, I guess, would be the, the radicalized arm of the IRA. Yeah. And they were seen as a terrorist group. Um, or like and, the FLQ, if you want to go with yeah, the Canadian Yeah, example. a Canadian example, the FLQ. Um, but like, look at, look at Al-Qaeda, look at ISIS. ISIS may try and inspire lone wolf attacks around the world, but they had a base of operations. And Al-Qaeda was a, it seemed to be not an overarching group, but a, an organized group of cells that would carry out acts on behalf of Osama bin Laden mm -hmm. and, and his ideology. And so in Toronto, we have this 17 year old guy in February, go in a massage parlor, um, kill one and, and injure two other people. Um, and based on what they discovered, police discovered in their investigations, they felt that the crime was committed to uphold the ideology of incel and and so their argument is that uh this is a terrorist it's an act of violence against an a group um in this case presumably the group was women and women who wouldn't have sex with him because that's the the main beef with incels is that they hate women because women won't sleep with them um it's a touchy it's a, subject it's a tough because <laughs> we've all been there I know, but, but we've never let progress to I've that. Never, well, I've never hated women because I couldn't have sex with one. Like that's where that's where it's like, yeah, we've all been there where we can't, you know, we haven't been able to. Yeah, know, we're been attracted to a I, woman, and we like, I meant we more than just wouldn't say, no. sleep with us. Yeah, 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 no, we've all been there. Yeah. We've never like, but it's never been like we we hate. So there, this is this is an anti-woman ideology. Mm -hmm. um, presumably in their investigation. I haven't seen court documents on it. I'm not based in Toronto. So, you know, the conversation I had with Joseph Breen, uh, when they upgraded the charges, that that's what they discovered. But it's interesting that that's the first incel case in Canada where they've done that. Alec Manassian, also in Toronto, this is the Toronto van attack from a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah. Horrible crime. And in, we've seen video of him or, or read transcripts of the video of his interview talking to police about why he did it. And it seems like he was motivated by that same ideology, but he didn't get hit with a terror charge. Um, so if we look at the idea, at least in Canada, where you can charge someone for committing a violent act in the further furthering of an ideology, you can argue that that's a terrorist offense. Mm -hmm. So what is, what is Antifa? Does Antifa commit crimes based on an ideology to further an ideology potentially like you know richard spencer got punched in the face the richard spencer noted american uh white nationalist um as, as seen as someone who kind of tried to make he tried to make white white nationalism white supremacy go mainstream 
Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't like a shaved head, swastika waving skinhead. Uh, but he wasn't, he's not a nice, not a nice guy. Um, and someone punched him in the face. Richard Spencer, not a nice guy. Not a nice guy. Official. Um, official. <laughs> Stop peddling that a little, but yeah. So like, so in the States, are there people who are committing acts on behalf of Antifa that kind of raise themselves to that level? Like in the States, you have people who have like stormed military bases and shot up people who turn out to be ISIS sympathizers. That mm-hmm. feels like more of a terrorist act than, than violence at a protest that Antifa may be doing. Yeah. Could Antifa get to a point in Canada or the U.S. where they commit, you know, murder? I'm not trying to, to throw the aspersion that that's going to happen, but like, may, is there a bar there? Do, do groups have to commit heinous acts of violence to be le- leveled a terrorist organization? I don't know. Yeah. Like, it is what, like, are they organized? I don't know. Mm-hmm. There are people who would say that, that um, the Parliament Hill shooter was a terrorist or the mosque shooter in Quebec City was a terrorist because they believed in a certain hateful ideology and then went and acted on it. What elevates a group to a terrorist group? What el- elevates a crime to a terrorist crime? In Canada, it seems that we have a bar. Mm-hmm. If, you go kill, if you go kill people in the, to further an ideology, authorities here may charge you with a terrorist act in the states what is that bar like i don't know like there are i've heard i've read a lot of criticism of antifa in the last few days and there's a branch of it in portland rose city antifa yeah that are, was they, are they are they organized I, yeah. or are they are they not are you know is it is some guy mm-hmm. on twitter who because they hate donald trump they say i'm antifa because i'm anti-fascist does that make me a terrorist? Well, no, it doesn't. Is Antifa a terrorist group because they get it in fights with police or, or outright commentators at rallies and maybe commit assaults? Does that make them a terrorist group or a gang? Does that like, what yeah. is, I, this is in the discussion around making them a terrorist group, I guess, what do we want to call a terrorist group? Someone who acts on an ideology who commits horrible acts of violence. That's what I, that's where I would be at. People who are, dressed all in black and start fights with police. Yeah. I I like, I like what you said by gang. Like I don't personally, I don't think they should be called a terrorist group because I think that's kind of giving too much legitimacy to a bunch of little groups that aren't really all together and they aren't organized. Like you said, like in Portland, that's, one of the main ones that we've seen in the past where there was all the um, criticism for to mm-hmm. me, this just seems like Trump trying to preemptively put something through to kind of like before he starts campaigning and holding Republican rallies and stuff at leading up to the election. I guess he's probably trying to get this through to maybe take some of the criticism away that he would see in public because mm-hmm. if he somehow for whatever reason if he manages to get this through and antifa ends up being a terrorist organization which would be terrible i think he feels like he will get less heat on him as he's traveling around the country and his people can wear maga hats without being made fun of or threatened <laughs> well i mean and, and again it goes to the idea of like free speech like should people mm. be allowed to assemble in in a like-minded group and i'm not again i don't 
we said earlier, we, I'm not a big fan of riots. I, you know, I don't condone unnecessary violence. Uh, you know, some of the some of the things that people have accused Antifa of doing, I wouldn't condone, nor would I do. Um, but in terms of the ability to to assemble in a group of like-minded individuals, should that be made uh, a crime if the if the acts they're accused of committing don't elevate themselves to uh, grievous harm to people. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the case. Like, but again, there's in, at least in Canada, we've seen the bar. If you commit murder in furthering of an ideology, you can be charged with a terror, terrorist linked offense. And I don't have a problem with that. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I you look like I, goose. I'm, I'm I'm sitting in my basement wearing a black hoodie, and I'm like, shoot, well, I look like I'm I'm part of Antifa. <laughs> You're like, I know yeah. my my beard isn't long enough, and like, <sighs> if if Antifa is gonna continue being like a group, I would implore them to not pick black because I like to wear black because it's slimming, and I don't really want that taken away from me to be able to go in public and look good in a black hoodie. Can they just dress like communists, like red or like <laughs> yeah, green like, fatigues with a Fidel yeah. Castro hat? That's it should your be, Antifa Yeah, uniform? it should be like a flag. Like they have to pick two colored stripes or like a design, like a, or maybe have like just a big version of their logo. Like, cause they have a, a, a Che Guevara shirt. So they're easy to identify. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yes. There you go. <laughs> so you know who to stay away from. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. guy's wearing a Che Guevara shirt. Let's cross the street, honey. We don't want none of that. Um, <laughs> Have you okay? Finally, let's move to something lighter. This this has probably been the heaviest outrage factory episode we've ever done, and that's good because it's yeah. a fucking heavy time right now. And I wanted to have to get you to speak on all these things because I feel like you're the adult in the room and you get <laughs> some wisdom. On well, every now and then I'll see a tweet uh, yeah. where someone's like, I just want an adult to come in and make everything better. And then I realize I'm the adult. That's how I feel a lot of the time too. So when you say yeah. I'm the adult in the room, I kind of, yeah, like I, I can be a curmudgeon, old man where I get mad at youthfulness for being loud and obnoxious, but I don't feel like I, I either feel like I'm a teenager or an old man. Like I feel like, I'm just skipping that whole adult part and just going yeah. straight to the like. Old well, man. I, I look back at old, before we get to our light subject, this bit, like yeah. I look back at, at my, I'm at the age now that my dad was when our family drove from Edmonton to Disneyland. It was a long trip. Went through, <laughs> but I look back at the pictures and I see my dad and it was the eighties, mind you. And my dad has yeah. never been super fashionable, but like cut off jean shorts and sports socks, like white sports socks with the big stripes that kind of go up to his knees. <laughs> nice. And like plaid, short sleeve button up shirt. Dave, and I don't, I just, don't want to get out of line, but I think if you dress like your dad did in those pictures, I think the Outrage Factory community would really enjoy to see those pictures. I don't know if you, <laughs> if you want to try to relive the greatness of this family trip. I, I don't. And, and my dad has like has like at least at the time he had like hair like steel wool like. Oh coarse, yeah, Scottish, <laughs> almost an afro. Like it was, yeah, tight curls and a mustache, <laughs> and then I'll, and it's just like I don't. I see those pictures and I think I can't be the same age as that guy, but yeah. I'm the same age as that guy. <laughs> That's funny. Like I found a picture of my dad, and my dad, like he settled on the cowboy look, like cowboy boots, 
and a cowboy hat and then like um kind of like wrangler shirt like button up cowboy shirts or whatever but before that there was a like a time when he was kind of like dabbling in and out of what he wanted to wear and there's this picture of us in a restaurant we're all little kids and he's wearing one of those shiny green jackets and a fedora and he has this big beard and cowboy boots and i was like it kind of clashes in all the right ways like he's got three different looks going on at the same time and i guess it was the 80s it was just like a freer time when you didn't have to care if you know if pharrell williams can wear that giant arby's hat oh yeah and then like (laughs) and then baggy clothes and stuff like you know like you look at and or like um I don't know, Lady Gaga and oh, if, yeah. they get, if, you know, if celebrities can dress like that, your dad can, can wear clashing yeah. looks. It's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah. What I was wanting to have you, did you watch Tiger King when it was like the most important thing in the world, like two months ago? <laughs> it's funny. I've made two attempts at the Tiger King story. I, there was, mm-hmm. um, Wondery did a season of its over my dead body podcast mm-hmm. about Joe exotic and Carol Baskin. Uh, mm-hmm. Season one of Over My Dead Body was a divorce hearing that went like a divorce case that went awry, and then they went, and then I thought season two was going to be a continuation of that story. Yeah, because I don't, and then it's like, like Joe Exotic and and that that bitch Carol Baskin. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> and so I think this was like a year ago, and I yeah. I kind of said oh, I'm kind of done with this podcast, and then Tiger yeah. King came on. I'm like this this story sounds familiar. I didn't connect it right away. And then I start yeah. watching I'm like, Oh, this is the podcast thing. And I've got three episodes in and every episode, I feel like a nervousness in the pit of my stomach. Like <laughs> what am I watching? So I haven't watched the whole thing. I've, yeah. I know the whole story about Carol Baskin and I know about uh, Joe exotic is in jail or awaiting trial. And I know mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone thinks that Carol killed her first husband or her previous husband i don't know how many times she's married i think it was so i'm aware of yeah. i'm aware of the phenomenon about carol carol baskin and joe exotic so yeah. i let's let's dive in i'll i'll half acid here okay we don't really have to dive in because we um i just wanted to bring it up because we have talked about tiger king in the past yeah. and i hadn't watched so what happened was we started talking about it on our first live stream and And I was like, I don't really want to talk about this because I haven't seen it. So I'm not too familiar with the subject matter. And then everybody was like, Dale has to watch Tiger King. And I was like, fine. If somebody gives $2 to the Patreon, I'll watch Tiger King. And then somebody (laughs) gave $2 to the Patreon. So I watched the entirety of it, Tiger King, in two days. And it's not as good as people say it is. I get why people liked it because it was like – it was a couple weeks in the quarantine and we were all kind of like, what are we going to do now? What's next? And it did take your mind off the whole COVID thing. And um, the reason I'm bringing it up now is because Carol Baskins has gotten um, legal custody of Joe Exotic Zoo. I can't remember what it was called exactly. And it's funny because if this news would have come out like a month and a half ago, like closer to when Tiger King was released, everybody would have talked about it. This is kind of like how when the government was like, oh, there's aliens and we have videos of UFOs, nobody cared because of COVID. But now because of all this, um, all these Black Lives Matter protests, this comes out and nobody cares. And it's like the perfect thing for Carol Baskins because like you said, everybody kind of hates her <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I, it, it is weird, like, to see at the end of this that, you know, she she kind of gets her way. Like, Joe mm-hmm. Exotic is shut down. She gets to take over the zoo. It's like, it's a victory for her. But it's, is it like a, is it a good victory for her at the end of the day? Like, she's been dragged, like, I felt the three episodes I saw, I felt that she was portrayed as fairly as any of the other characters in the show. <laughs> and they're all characters. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's, you know, she's, all of them look, came out looking kind of strange. My favorite character in the show, and I call them characters, I know they're real people, was the guy who was doing his, his live stream who used to work for Inside Edition. Oh, like, yeah. I can't remember his name. He oh. looked like he'd been smoking four packs a day for 50 years, and maybe he yeah. has been. And his the guy who all messed up now. lost everything in the fire. Yeah. Yeah, that guy was, that guy was pretty good. I like um, the, uh, drug, the drug kingpin who kind of said he had like a tiger habit, but he just dealt drugs so he could support having tigers. Tiger and stuff. Habit. Yeah. yeah, no, he was pretty good because he was, he was the, the, was it Scarface? He was the inspiration for Scarface. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, that, like, it is one of those weird, and you're right that, you know, people are paying attention to things that matter right now. So Carol Baskin getting the zoo is, you know, <laughs> fine. That was a thing. It feels like it was a million years ago, the Tiger King yeah. phenomenon. But yeah, it is, it is kind of strange. And I think it is a bit of a victory for her, I guess. But at the same time, what is it? It's, what is it called? A Pyrrhic victory? <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah. It does, it does seem like kind of like an empty victory because it's like yeah. hey you got this but your name was dragged through the mud and it's like your name is a household name but not in a good way yeah whereas like joe so, exotic who is kind of like a bad he's the person. villain yeah yeah it's funny because yeah he's the villain he's the one who plotted to kill carol baskins and he went to jail and he's still in jail right now but he still comes off as the good guy through the show and then she like and like if this would have taken a different way where it's like she has been wrongfully accused of killing her husband and she lost someone she loved and she's just been dealing with this crazy guy who just is insulting her and shooting effigies of her and saying he wants to kill her and then hires mm-hmm. someone to try to kill her and then he goes to jail and she in the end if you would have taken that viewpoint of it it would look amazing it would be the happy ending but it's yeah it's kind of weird how it's just it's like flipped yeah it is it is strange and you know i, I and again for me like tiger joe exotic is is for me a small doses thing i i remember and it was funny to make the connection is when i first saw a trailer for tiger king i didn't didn't make the connection mm-hmm. but i've been watching john oliver's show for like four years or however long he's been on, he did a segment about Joe Exotic running for president or something back in 2016. Oh, trying to yeah. get his name on the ballot. And he's in small doses. That's quite entertaining to kind of laugh at this eccentric guy who owns tigers and fires a gun and dresses bizarrely. You talk about having like styles clashing. Yeah. Like it's just, he's a character that I can see why <laughs> people really got into that show. Yeah. I don't know. I've, I, I think when COVID started, I was still trying to make my way through uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine because I didn't watch it the first time around. Oh, so I was watching yeah. all the old episodes of that. And then, 
And so I just kind of like, I got other stuff to watch. I'm not going to watch Tiger King. At the end of the day, Brooklyn Nine-Nine will make you feel better about yourself than Joey Exotic will. Yes. Brooklyn Nine-Nine is uplifting. It's, you know, what what people may need in these trying times. Yeah, it actually might be good viewing for right now, especially when police forces are under such heat that it could be like – maybe softening the hardened viewpoint of police whereas making them kind of empathetic yeah. you could say and then and then go watch the wire and then kind <laughs> of <laughs> lose yeah. balance it out right <laughs> yeah two yeah. two ends of the spectrum oh well, yeah. i was watching something oh intelligence did you ever see that show the cbc show yeah it reminded yeah, it got- me of like a canadian the wire it was i was yeah. so mad when they canceled it i it was so good yeah. Even the inclusion of the guy who played Max Headroom, Matt Frewer, even he was good <laughs> in it. Um, I was so like, I didn't, I remember Da Vinci's. I can't da Vinci's believe you pulled quest. that name out for Max Headroom. Yeah. Uh, it's all stored up here. So that, those, that show was created by, I think it was Chris Haddock, mm-hmm. um, who also created Da Vinci's Inquest. I did not like Da Vinci's Inquest, but then at some point in the Da Vinci's, it's kind of like a police procedural. Um, mm-hmm. And it was kind of based around, um, I think the character was kind of based around Larry Campbell. Who's that? He was, he was a BC RCMP officer who ended up being like elected to office or made a senator or something. When was that? Ah, oh, in the 90s. Um, anyway, so, but then the, at some point in the show, they decided to, I'm looking up Larry Campbell while okay. I'm talking. Um, they decided to make the show um, a about Larry Campbell senator um they decided to make the show about him going from being the coroner coroner to running for mayor of Vancouver yeah and then he becomes mayor of Vancouver and they did a whole they did I think one season before it got canceled because no one watched it about him being (laughs) mayor of Vancouver but dealing with like stuff that like I find really interesting like there is dealing with policing issues the police union uh prostitution casinos racetracks it was really good so larry campbell um former mayor of vancouver he was the 37th mayor of vancouver before he was mayor he worked for the rcmp as a police officer and he was transferred to the the vancouver detachment and he served as a member of the forces drug squad and then in the 80s he worked for the vancouver district's coroner's office Mm -hmm. so it was based i don't it's funny like i in his in his um in his wikipedia page it doesn't mention da vinci's inquest but my understanding is the character anyway so chris haddock did da vinci city hall and it got canceled and i was so upset and then they brought him cbc did intelligence with him yeah and i was so good it was so good it it's was on netflix really now and then but no one watched it and so it got canceled like yeah it's funny cbc will try and like stand up for other bad programming that nobody watches <laughs> But when they have something that's a very high quality that nobody watches, it was yeah. the best thing. Cause I was sick of seeing shows set in Alberta on farms. Like I don't buy into like, <laughs> I don't like Heartland. I don't like, and I don't like a very Toronto centric image of thing. And so yeah. I like having this show about police and CSIS and dealing with FBI and dealing with gangsters and the hell's angels and all of that, or they were the bikers, not the hell's angels, but mm. And all Just of that in Vancouver. The bikers. They were the bikers. I can't remember the Jimmy Doyle's gang. Was it Doyle? Was it? Yeah, anyway. I think it was Doyle. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry. It's, I'm going to watch that again on Netflix. It is so good. So yeah. Yeah. Like that is like Canada's wire. And I've, I tried to tell people about it and they just, you know, they looked at me funny. Like, yeah. It it's stupid. funny because that actually, the reason I was watching that was because after I watched Tiger King, I was like, all right, I watched Tiger King guys. You can lay off my back now. What else should I watch? And then <laughs> someone suggested intelligence. And I was like, that sounds familiar for some reason. Cause I kind of heard about it, but I never watched it. And I was like, yeah. And the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, oh, this is like a beat, like a Vancouver version of The Wire. But yeah, it is. And it, I mean, the, the other good thing is the, the, the guy who plays the biker, the leader of the bikers, um, yeah. played a homicide detective on Da Vinci's Inquest. Oh, okay. Oh, that was how you were. T- okay, yeah. Yeah. Because so the co creator of, of Intelligence and yeah. one of the actors came yeah. over. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a small cohort of actors in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> I think there were a lot of people who went from, who went from Da Vinci City Hall and Da Vinci's Inquest to Intelligence. And then they had that other show, which had a terrible name, The Romeo Section. Oh. He had a show about, like, they were basically spies who kind of created honey traps for <laughs> men and women who would who would who would be honey traps for people from, the premise from sounds amazing country. but it, it might have been mishandled. terrible title and the execution was <laughs> anyway it's that's down the rabbit hole of, of yeah. your canadian tv drama i think i think we should maybe end it there because we've been going for an hour and a half <laughs> and i don't think anybody wants to listen to our breakdown of british columbia police procedurals i mean we could get into motive but you should watch. Everybody should just go watch Motive, and then maybe we'll. It's good. It I like Motive. Motive's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, right actually, on. a funny thing that nobody knows. Um, there was an episode of the Motive of the Motive, the show Motive. If you don't know what it is, it's a police procedural. But what they do is they show you the murder at first. They show you who did it and who was murdered, and then the whole point of the show is they walk you through the procedure to find out why that person was murdered and it actually was a good take on the police procedural and it kind of mixed it up enough but there's this one episode where this person is buying paintings from a uh, from like garage sales and stuff and painting cats on them and it's like an old lady and she's doing it as a hobby and she sells these paintings and then someone buys the painting from her because it's some lost super famous artwork that's worth millions and so the lady who put painted the cat on it goes and kills her and then takes the painting back and is trying to take the cat picture off, but she ruins yeah. the painting. So ironically, the painting ends up being um, worthless. Yeah. But the reason I'm talking about this is I now have that painting because yes. there was a set sale where they, like after a show cancels down in Vancouver, they send all the stuff to the warehouse where you can buy like some of the props and yeah. some of the um some of the clothes and stuff that they wore and then i bought this painting and it's funny because andrea doesn't like the painting because it's actually kind of an ugly painting and every time i bring it up i have to explain that whole episode to everybody and they're like oh great so you got this painting because it's some tv show in vancouver that nobody really has watched or knows that's that's awesome and i'm like isn't that great and everybody's like "Mm, sure So that's awesome. That's, that's awesome. That's my personal emotional connection with that show. <laughs> nice. And with that, um, 
I want to thank you. Uh, thank you again, Dave. It was great having you on. And no worries. Back with you. Yeah. You soldiered us through those like a champ. Like those were some heavy subjects. And I'm glad you were here to uh, keep the dick and fart jokes out of it. Like I would have peppered in and <laughs> probably got a lot of people upset at us. Um, so you said you had, you're on the 10, three podcast through post. Yeah. yeah. You said you were on a different provincial podcast. Is that still going? No, that's not going right now. We, because the people, some of the other people who were involved kind of left the, the newsroom and then due to COVID and, and stuff like that, we, we'd looked at doing more of a YouTube type video project, mm. but that got had to get put on hold because no one's allowed to go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> that makes like, sense. Like, I mean, we people. put this on YouTube, but I don't know yeah. if it's, good enough to be like a provincial and official news media podcast or a video but, thing. So, yeah. So I did. Um, yeah. But I did, so the 10, three podcast, um, and we're doing more episodes next week around the George Floyd case and policing in Canada and racism. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I, more on that. I do have to compliment you. The 10, three podcast is great. I started listening to it because I felt bad because I asked you on this podcast and I hadn't listened to it. And I was like, I'm just going to go listen to a whole bunch of episodes and pretend I was listening to it the whole time. There so Dave go. doesn't get hurt feelings. And then I listened to him. I'm like, wow, this is great. Like they're, I think they're like 15 to 20 minute episodes and each one yeah. deals with like a new subject. Yeah. <laughs> yeah basically and, like we're not a daily, we don't do kind of the news of the day cause we're not daily, but we talk hmm. about, we try and get a bit of a deeper look at big stories. And we talk to journalists from across the post media chain. Um, it, I know with COVID and a, and a lot of focus on things nationally, there's been a lot of people from the national post, but it is, yeah, we, we try and kind of get into deeper conversation about stories that we feel matter to people. And right now uh, the killing of George Floyd and, and racism yeah. in Canada, you know, we're, we're hoping to get a couple more episodes out about that because it's, it's an important discussion to be having right now. Yeah, this is a definitely a turning point for North American society, I guess, like you could say it's good to basically get as much of it down for the permanent record as you can. Yeah. I think you also and, have until all the servers are erased in a society yeah. falls apart. Until the EMP bomb goes off. But yeah. if an EMP bomb goes off, people could still get you in your other output, which is pretty much every newspaper in Edmonton right now. The two yeah. main ones, at least. Basically. So it's if you if you want to hear more from Dave, just go pick up a newspaper because that's what he does. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, you could follow us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Oddly, I think the numbers spiked the most for Apple Podcasts. Um, rate, review us. Force your friends to watch us against their will. Um, go to our Patreon, Outrage Fact Pod. Give us some money. If you want, if you, I'm doing this deal where if you spend $2 on our Patreon on give me a TV suggestion on Netflix or something, it was kind of like the COVID deal where I didn't have enough to watch. So if you do that, I'll watch within reason. I'm not watching any reality TV. <laughs> I'll watch what you suggest. Um, yeah. If you're watching this live stream, you already know where to find us on Facebook. Uh, we have YouTube channels where I kind of put the live streams after the fact and that's about it is there anything you want to say before we go dave no i just there's a lot of fun you know i as i as i said for people who watched last week's episode i i joked with dale i'm not as conspiratorially minded <laughs> as uh oh, mr boy, mac 
I got to correct you, occluded history minded. Occluded history minded. <laughs> I got, I got quite the spanking for saying conspiracy theory, <laughs> which I loved. I thought that was funny. <laughs> no, it was an entertaining episode, but yeah, it was fun. To, glad I, I was happy to be on. And, and yes, you should, yeah, um, you should spend two bucks on the Patreon and, and make uh, Dale watch Paw Patrol. No. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you've ruined my life. <laughs> All no, right, everybody. Thanks, Thanks for coming everybody. in. Until next time, stay angry. Mm -hmm.